Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 11, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. We are in the chapter entitled A Vision for You on page 156, the very first paragraph beginning with One Morning He Took the Bull by the Horns. And today's readers are Penny E, Rebecca, Judy B, and Fran. And the share code for yesterday's meeting for Sunday, March 10th, 4045. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. <clears throat> uh, good morning, everyone. This is Lois from Massachusetts. I'm grateful to be here this morning. Uh, the 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove... Humbly... uh, Made a... Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of our and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and, under- and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Twelve, made a searching and fearless moral... No, I'm sorry. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Meg to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. My name is Meg O, and I am a grateful compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, 
finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in the chapter entitled A Vision for You on page 156 at the very top paragraph, first paragraph, beginning with one morning he took the bull by the horns. And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E. from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. One morning he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that many knew of his drinking. Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. At midnight, he came home exhausted but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community, and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. Well, uh, I would like to share on this. Penny E. from South Jersey recovered. Um, I get goosebumps. This is history, you know, in the making. It almost brings tears to my, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. won't use my time explaining all that. But anyway, in the second paragraph, he has had, not had a drink since. And this is history. This is Founders Day. This is the day, June 10th, 1935, that the first day of AA began. One alcoholic helping another alcoholic. Absolutely a miracle, a gift from our higher power. Um, this is this is a 12-step call we're, we're, we're looking at here. We're reading this. It says, um, many knew of his drinking. He, he says, this is what he said, and learned that many knew of his drinking. Well, this is actually a comedy. Like, who didn't know about his drinking? Who didn't know about my eating? I was 237 pounds waddling, you know, eating in the closet, eating in my car, putting the food down so people couldn't see me eat because I didn't want them to know I was fat. I didn't want them to know that I had a problem with food. Everybody knows. We're the last ones to know. You know, we are the last ones to know. Um, 
It also says further on that uh, this might mean ruin. If he went to his friends and he told these people what he had done, how he had hurt them, it might be ruin, particularly to, to a person in his line of business. And what I see here is that he was willing to go to any length. It didn't matter. His business, his practice would mean nothing if he didn't get sober. He would have ruined it. It would have been lost anyway. You know, He's, he ha if we're going to live this uh, spiritual life as described by the 12 steps, we have to take the risk. Take the risk and trust our higher power to go forward. Go forward. And um, I'm just grateful to be a part part of this fellowship and part of this meeting. Have a beautiful, God-filled day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Star one to unmute. It's Monica. Monica, go ahead, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And here in these two stories here, we're reading about Dr. Bob going out and making his ninth step amends. And uh, just totally amazing how this guy did this all in one day. Um, but what happened as a result of he made those ninth step amends? He got some promises here. He never had another drink. And that was my experience for me. Once I'd made some ninth step amends, those ninth step promises started really happening. But I had to get there to, ninth, to the ninth step for that to happen. Anyway, um, he never had another drink. How hopeful, how hopeful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? This is Robin. Robin, please go ahead. Morning, this is Robin. I'm a, a recovered compulsive overeater in Minnesota, and I can't ha I can't help notice the word feared um, in the very beginning there. He set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. Um, he came out of the closet. And, you know, just as it was with me, everybody knew I had a problem and everybody knew what was going on. Many people had tried to help me with it um, and I thought that nobody knew. And my problem was fear, definitely, um, fear of people. And, you know, coming out of the closet and, and having the courage to talk to somebody um, you know, talk to having having had the courage to talk to people that I had been afraid of. Um, it happened the same for me that I found I was surprisingly well received. Um, and and I think that this is the the coolest one of the cool things that happens in our program is that uh, you know I I always think when I when I was in the food it was like I was living in a cave and I cut cut myself off from all the people that love me. I mean, truly, there were people who loved me in the world, but I cut myself off from the world. And um, when I came out of the cave, I found out there was a whole world of people who were very kind out here, and I was well-received in all of the amends that I made and all of the um, talking I did with people who I thought were had nothing but bad things that they were thinking about me. I found out that I was not the center of the universe and they hadn't been just thinking about what a lousy person I was, but there was forgiveness all around. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to make your amends. It's not that big a deal to them. <laughs> Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else? Hi, this is Lois. Excuse me, may I share? Yes, Lois, and then I heard someone else, please. Tippy. Tippy. Okay, Lois, yeah. and then okay, Tippy. Thank you. I just want to comment on this. It says major liabilities of 30 years of of hard drinking, you know, have have been repaired in in four. And uh, what jumps out, what what that means to me is that after um, going through the, the, the steps four through through nine. 
and um, in learning and taking a look at, at my, my attitudes, my actions, my perceptions, you know, and, and how that um, helped me see and have a spiritual experience, help, helping me to see where, uh, where my, my, my attitude, my actions and th- thinking had gotten me in many positions in all of these relationships that I had in my life. You know, and, and I was able to um, do that, show that, and repair that, or try to repair that to make amends. You know, that um, all, all, except ones who had passed away or something, all of my situations had been repaired. And it, it really, for me, it didn't take four, four years, of course. Some of it, you know, I hadn't been able to do it all if, if parents had passed away, but... You know, it, it was. It, this is such a uh, another message of hope that um, that when we take the bull by the horns, which is an amazing phrase as well, if you want to visualize that, you know, you know the bull being, you know, t- we're terrified. The bull is all of fear I had that how will I ever do this, you know, and and just plunging in and taking the bull by the horns and going through with it, you know, it it has it has brought about a remarkable. Um, change in my life and, and those around me that I, I have um, dealt with. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. And Sippy, please. Hi, this is Sippy. Um, I'm actually looking forward to make amends. I'm a newcomer and um, just two months into program. And um, I'm looking forward because about a month ago, um, I was talking to my mother. I didn't talk nicely to her. And when I put down the phone, I thought to myself, hey, that wasn't nice. Um, I think I'm going to do straightaway amends because I remembered reading one of the steps at the end part was to um, straightaway try to rectify what any wrong that I had done. So I quickly phoned her back before I lost my courage. And um, and I said, sorry. And I remember how um, she was a bit astonished because I've never told her sorry, but I remember how freeing I felt that, you know, um, I can move on. I didn't have to feel guilty now for the next year that I didn't talk nicely to her. I said sorry, I was remorseful, and that heavy load was removed from my back. So I'm actually looking forward to when I'm up to the, um, I think it's step four or something, that I'll say sorry to all the people that I've hurt and remove that load from my back, and just move on, move on life, you know, guilt-free, and I'll pass. Thank you very much. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, One morning he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. I mean, obviously, we see here that uh, Dr. Bob is, you know, applying these very same steps to his life that we study every morning. You know, if we back up one sentence there, uh, it says, he saw that he would have to face his problem squarely, that God might give him mastery. Um, You know, it's God uh, that we need in our lives because lack of power is our dilemma. Lack of power was Dr. Bob's dilemma. He was powerless over alcohol and uh, left to his own devices, left to his own resources or any other human aid, um, he could not conquer the obsession of the mind. A sick mind can't heal a sick mind. Only he who created that mind can heal that mind, and that's God. But obviously, he was blocked, as we all are when we begin this program. He was blocked. Uh, He was blocked by fear, you know, probably blocked by resentment, blocked by remorse, blocked by guilt. It says he he found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that that many knew of his drinking. Um, You know, (laughs) in his business uh, as as a physician, uh, however... um, you know, good he was at his in his career, um, people knew of his drinking. So he began to apply the program to his life, and he, so, he sobered up. 
never to drink again until, uh, you know, he, he died sober. He died sober in 1950. And certainly uh, this seems to demonstrate that one alcoholic, meaning Bill Wilson, could help another in a way that no other, that, that no non-alcoholic could. That's certainly one of the basic principles behind AA. Um, and it's, it's one of the main reasons why this book was written was in order to carry that message. So one morning he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. And, of course, they're referring to step nine here, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. We're talking about freedom here. Dr. Bob wants freedom. You know, how free did he want to be? He wanted to be so free that he was willing to do that which was difficult. Most freedoms are difficult. <laughs> Freedom is not free. Um, he could not be free if he was continuing to drag the actions of his past with him because it's hard to live, uh, what was it, June 1935? It's hard to live free in June of 1935 when you're still carrying the actions of the past years and the past decades on your shoulders. You know, the wreckage of his past was existing in his head. And since it existed in his head, it was a threat to his serenity. And any time we are threatened in terms of our serenity, in terms of being restless, irritable, and discontent, uh, Dr. Bob, who was powerless over alcohol, continued to seek ease and comfort in drinking. Step nine allowed him an opportunity to live in harmony with his fellow human beings, and that's exactly what happens here. It says, at midnight he came home exhausted but very happy. He has not had a drink since. Step nine, these action steps, four through nine specifically, allowed Dr. Bob to live in harmony with his fellow human beings, with his colleagues. Uh, with those around him, and, and to make a change to set things right with other people and to get rid of that fear and that guilt and that remorse and shame that he felt and was creating a barrier between himself and God. So the 12 steps boil down to one thing, and that is change. And certainly that change created uh, being recovered, and that's our history. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs before we move on? All right, I'll take that as a no, and I'll ask Rebecca to continue reading, please. Good morning. This is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. One day they called up the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. And again, this is Rebecca. And um, both... um, Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Life was not easy. They had difficulties. And they both saw that they needed to keep spiritually active. So spiritually active, apparently, in this um, reference, specifically refers to Step 12 and... um, I just want to read step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So in order for them to um, deal with their difficulties, which I imagine was the challenge of staying sober, um, they had to find other people to help to carry this message to for their own sobriety and recovery. So they took the bull by the horns again and called a nurse to find someone because they were the sponsors seeking out the sponsee. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm Kim J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. You know, that is such a key point. You know, and that's, that is a point that for years I thought there was an ending point to these um, steps. You know, okay, well, I'll do four through nine, and then, then everything's going to be okay, right? Because I'll get to my goal weight. Everyone will be happy, and I can go back and do whatever I want to do. You know, it's kind of like, you know, okay, I'm going to go to school to be an engineer, and I do all the studying, and I graduate, and then I never get a job as an engineer. You know, the, the whole point of doing these steps is so that we can apply them in the everyday. Going to school to be an engineer, you don't feel like an engineer until you get a job as an engineer, and you're doing that on a daily basis. So when we finish these steps, we must, it says we must keep spiritually active. I want to keep that connection because the reason we found with this twofold disease, the first part is we have the allergy of the body, which will never change, absolutely never change. But the most dastardly part of this disease is we have this obsession of the mind that is always going to tell us to go back to those foods. And the reason that my mind tells me that is because I am blocked from a higher power. I am blocked from God. I have a hole in my soul that needs to be filled. So when I go through these steps, and as Bob finished that ninth step, and he became unblocked, never to drink again, when I finished my ninth steps and I became unblocked, never to, at this point to have eaten again, is because I am now connected to that higher power. And that is where the one day at a time comes in. So often we think one day at a time is just how we can keep on a diet. One day at a time means I have to keep spiritually active because I cannot use my spiritual resource from yesterday today. I can't rest on what I spiritually do today for tomorrow. I have to do this program one day at a time. I have to keep spiritually connected. And I recently had a conversation with someone and she asked me, what, what's my daily practice every day? And she was shocked because, well, aren't you recovered? Why do you have to do all that work? Because now that I'm on block, I need to continue to grow towards God if I want to continue to have these gifts. You know, I get up at 7 o'clock in the morning because I know I need that in order to stay recovered. I sponsor because I know I need to be in this book every day if I want to continue to receive these gifts. So Bill and Bob, even though they were recovered, and they said that you know, difficulties presented themselves, life doesn't stop just because we stopped eating. So they saw, both of them saw that they must keep spiritually active. I must keep spiritually active. It is a joy, it is a duty, but I understand also that my life depends on it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I would love to share. This is Steve, uh, recovering compulsive eater. Steve, welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, it just reminds me of page 85, if I may. It's, uh, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on my laurels. We are headed for trouble. If we do for alcohol as a subtle foe, we're not cured of overeating. What we really have is a daily reproof, and here it is again, contingent on the maintenance of my <clears throat> of our spiritual condition. And uh, that's such a key thing. It's a spiritual malady that I have. And when I start craving, it's a sign. That's the canary in the cage. That comes second. The gas is already poisoning me of the uh, compulsion the, between my uh, ears. And the only thing I have, I realize, is my higher power because I can't do it on will. And here it is again, drummed in. Uh, his story is our story. We have this disease. We're born with it. It's not our fault, but we have it, and we're powerless. And it's a strong foe. And the only thing I have is... That higher power, that's the only thing that, that can beat that thing. So I pass and I appreciate so much you all and this 
these steps, this program. Thank you, Steve. Recovering, I can say, for the first time. Thank you. I'll Thank pass. you. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, I'll jump in here. Um, But life was not easy for the two friends. Uh, Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. You know, this intensive work with other alcoholics began. And they spent the rest of their days carrying this message. I mean, Bill and Dr. Bob spent the rest of their lives trying to help other alcoholics and trying to help this fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, you know, thank you, God, that you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to to be here, you know, every morning studying the solution and, and carrying the message. Um, they did so so that we could have it today. And during all that period of time, Dr. Bob and Bill, of course, managed to stay sober. They were recovered. When they went to other people, um, as we're going to read very soon with Alcoholics Anonymous number three, you know, they went not really to uh, sober up the next person, but to keep themselves from drinking. It is self-preservation. I mean, because for us, for people like you and I, if we neglect those who are still sick, there's danger to our own lives and to our own sanity. So it's under those kind of compulsions, the compulsion of self-preservation, the compulsion of it's a duty, it's a responsibility that we have to carry this message. And it's out of love. And it is out of love that we do that. Um, I love, the speaking of love, I, I love the words that come out of Bill's story on the bottom of page 14. They've always touched my heart, and they still do. When Bill says, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs, particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if, a, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Those are very, very powerful words. They've certainly been powerful for me. Uh, that, that is the need of, of us. That is the need that we have. It was true for Bill. It was true for Dr. Bob. It's true for me. Perhaps it's true for you, too. With that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Of course, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, I'm going to start at that first line, but life was not easy for the two friends. Well, here Bill and Bob can move over because we can come right alongside here. Life doesn't become easy. And then it says, again, plenty of difficulties presented themselves, that being life. But then I'm going to scoot right on down to that bottom line. They explained their need. Wait, they didn't even mention the alcoholic. Their need, and inquired if she had, I love the kind of ionic way she said it, a first-class alcoholic. Honey, alcoholic, first-class? Mm, okay, prospect. And then, you know, I want to go to page 89 and what it says there on the top of the line, working with others, and here they are doing just that. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other, may I use this word again, activities, action, feel. This is it. And said, this is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. I just loved the way they put that. They explained their need. And here we learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself and how it goes on. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you very much. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with Judy B. 
Good morning. This is Judy B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. She replied, Yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses. Goes off his head completely when he's drinking. But he's a grand chap when he's sober. Though he's been in here eight times in the last six months. Understand he was once a well-known lawyer in town. But just now we've got him strapped down tight. And there's an asterisk there which refers to the bottom of the page. This refers to Bill's and Dr. Bob's first visit to AA number three. See the pioneer section. This resulted in AA's first group at Akron, Ohio in 1935. And and that story can be found in the in the stories in the pioneer section. But here here we have um a prospect. The nurse has found a, a corker and she's telling the men about him. Uh he's um a grand chap when he's sober. But we can see the extreme that he goes to when he's drinking. You know, he's been in there eight times in the last six months. You know, he was once a well known lawyer in town. But just now we've got him strapped down. He is totally out of control. He, You know, he's at the bottom. He's in a mess. And um, at the time this book was written, um, Bill and Bob had, had uh, to, to seek out other um, alcoholics by calling um, ministers or going to hospitals and, and looking for them. In in our program, there are just so many available prospects because of um, so many meetings now and, and so many uh, phone meetings and face-to-face meetings. And, you know, we can, we can just, we can find prospects everywhere. And uh, so we really, we really have to understand that our working with them is so important. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us in fit spiritual condition, we have to reach out and and give what we've what we've been so generously given. And uh, here, Bill and Bob are with the the uh, the next member of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the first group in Akron, Ohio. And um, and we're going to see how how they worked with him. Beautiful, beautiful beginning for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Hi, Monica. Go ahead. Thank you, Leah. It's Monica again, covered compulsive overeater. Reading this paragraph um, reminded me of paragraph 21. Uh, on page 21, I mean, uh, the paragraph where it says, the second paragrapher says, here is a fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredibly tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. And I thought, wow, that just 100% describes what this nurse is saying about this gentleman here, Um, that he is um, a, a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This alcoholism has got him by the throat. It is, it's killing him. And um, and here he is. He's been in the hospital eight times in the past six months. And this is what alcoholics back then had to look forward to. Absolutely nothing. There was no treatment. You know, you went to the hospital, you got dried out, and a majority of them, and probably this guy here, got drunk on the way home. There was no solution. There was no hope. They would either end up in a, in a state asylum or in jail or dead. But hopefully, but we know that here, you know, um, Dr. Bob and Bill are going to come talk to this guy. And I will pass with that.
Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? That's Leah. Just you know, um, she replied, "Yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses again." Speaking about this, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. You know, he was a well-known lawyer. I'm sure uh, very uh, successful um, in his business. However, he's got this drinking problem. You know, uh, he's just beaten up a couple of nurses here. Goes off his head completely when he's drinking. I mean, those are the results of disease. Those are the results of the disease. I mean, God gives us certain strengths and abilities and talents, and, uh, you know, the disease has certain results to it. You know, uh, we don't get to live up to our potential because you can't serve two masters. You're either serving the master of disease, and the master of disease has certain results, like isolation, like, uh, you know, uh, deep depression, like being strapped to a bed, trying to dry out here uh, for the eighth time in the last six months. That's the results of the disease. But he's a grand chap when he's sober. You know, when we're serving the master of of uh, recovery, we get to tap into some of those strengths. Um, you know, this man will be recovered uh, in a number of paragraphs. And, uh, you know, he gets to contribute to his community. He gets to be a full, productive, outstanding citizen in, his, in the society of his day. Um, of course, Dr. Bill and Bob here are carrying the message. It's good to remember that Bill Wilson has about seven months of sobriety. He's been recovered for seven months. Uh, Dr. Bob, for just several weeks. If you've ever seen that painting of the man on the bed, that is this scenario here where Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson are, are making a visit uh, with Bill D. And with that, I pass. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please, with Fran. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Here was a prospect, all right but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private room? I was always in a ward before. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Anyone like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. This is Katie. Kim and then Katie, please. Thank you. Good morning again, everyone. This is so exciting. This is the birth of the fellowship that we're reading about. This is... This is what AA is all about. It's alcoholics reaching out to other alcoholics. And the thing I wanted to point out is, you know, they asked for a corker. They asked for someone that needed their help. And they asked them to put it in a private room and they'll be down. And two days later, two days later they approached him. Why is that? Because we are told in the doctor's opinion in multiple occasions that we have to have the food down in order to be available for this program. One of the lines is, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And another one says, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. So that's what they're understanding. This guy is, in, is desperate. They want to get him when he's desperate, when he's going to be receptive, when he thinks he's, he's going to be beat. But they understand, too, in order to be available to hear this message, he has to have the food down. That is the prerequisite for working this program. So they go in there, put him in a private room, we'll be down. And then two days later, they don't go to him while he's still drunk, but two days later they go there and they're like, who are you, fellas, and why this private room? I was always in a ward before. 
Because Bill was scared. Bill thought he was going to die. Bill J. I'm talking about. Because they always put him in a ward, and they thought, well, if they're putting him in a private room, he's screwed. They must have given up on him. And this is going to be the beginning of a new life for Bill J. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Katie, please. This is Katie. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thanks. I couldn't remember if I was unmuted or not. Um, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater, and I, I was kind of going to focus on that same fact that they uh, waited two days. But I think, um, you know, it's just, um, you know, it it just shows that we don't, uh, you know, people give out this cry, you know, I think of the, the bunker um, prayers, you know, when there's firing all around them and they, you know, say, okay, 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 I'll, I'll never, you know, I'll do whatever you want, God, just um, save me right now. And this is saying, you know, they didn't rush down there and uh, try to talk to him when he was still drunk. They waited until um, he was fully sober. And you know, that's uh, what we do with newcomers. We don't, you know, we don't go into um, Krispy Kreme and just wait out front, you know, for the people who we see going in there and say, you know, don't go in there, don't do it this time. You know, we don't, we don't interrupt people in the middle of their binge. There has to be a level of um, willingness there that, we will reach out to someone when they are um, have have been licked, and you know this guy obviously had. He's in a hospital, and you know I've had that experience before where I've said, "Okay, have you had enough now?" You know, but um, but we can't make someone be at that jumping off place where they're ready to jump into this program. Our job is to be available when they are ready. And the best thing I can do is stay absent myself. So I'm ready and available for um, the next newcomer who uh, wants this program. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else? This is Helena. May I share? Of course. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I am just noticing in the first paragraph that we just read, that it says, he was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. And this indicates to me that since we're in the chapter here, a vision for you, and it's encouraging me, it's encouraging all of us that there is a future and that we will be able to reach out to others and a fellowship will form around us. And here they are. I, I get the distinct impression that they're not quite too sure how to proceed. This is a very difficult case. Is it going to work? This is their first, the first person that they actually were able to reach. And uh, so that I can just see them looking at each other and saying, uh, what do we do now? And one of them said, oh, put him in a private room, and then we'll, we'll just go talk to him. Uh, we'll just go see where God leads us following what we have experienced, we'll share what we have. And for that, I pass. Thank you. Helena, anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Christy. Christy, your turn. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy, a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just, I love these two paragraphs. Um, you know, the perspective it gives me is, the two, uh, the two recovering or recovered com or alcoholics, um, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and then you know this this corker, this none too promising prospect, and you know, Bill and Bob, uh, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, you know they had nothing to lose. They had nothing to lose by going in and talking to this person. They had nothing to lose. They were taking time out of their 
you know, out of their day um, so they could keep clean and sober for one more day. I mean, that was the only reason they were doing that. It's not like they were, to, you know, in some pyramid scheme where they had to get people, you know, below them to start working this program. It's, you know, the only reason they were doing this is so that they could stay sober. So they really, I mean, you know, in essence had nothing to lose by going to see this corker, you know, this desperate, um, hopeless man, really. And, you know, and Bill D sitting in this private hospital room, sobering up after having been there countless times, had everything, had everything to gain. He had everything to gain. I mean, I love when I'm in a face-to-face -face meeting and um, I see those people come in and they are absolutely desperate. I, I just want to run up and say, you are in the right place. You know, even the people that have been in treatment multiple times or the people that I talk to from A Vision for You or I hear them, you know, introducing themselves as newcomers after the meeting, you know, it's, you know, I've been in OA forever and I, I think there might be something here for me. I mean, I just love that. There is, recovery is possible for anybody. It is possible for anybody. If someone like me can recover, anyone can recover. Anyone can recover. And that's exactly the message that Bill W. and Dr. Bob had when they went to see this man. I mean, they were hopeless alcoholics, and they had recovered. And, you know, the program was fairly new. The concept was new. And, and I feel that way about, you know, Overeaters Anonymous, even though we've been around for a few years. Um, Morbid obesity is epidemic in this country. Um, you know, all of the consequences of compulsive overeating are also epidemic in this country. You know, no surprise there. And, um, you know, I think the, you know, having, you know, I don't know, carrying the message every day does nothing more than um, keep me clean and recovered one day at a time. You know, it's, it, you know, I say this program is perfectly designed for someone like me who is, you know, hardwired to be selfish and self-centered to the extreme. So, you know, I'm doing this for my own benefit, you know, newsflash, I'm doing this for my own benefit. And yet I get such energy and enthusiasm out of carrying this message because I want other people to know it's possible. I want other people to know it's possible because it it was possible for me. And uh, I'm just so grateful. And I just love reading this part of the, the big book because, you know, this program was built on a solid foundation of just one person carrying it to another person carrying it to another person. And um, that's all I got. You know, that's all I got. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Anyone else like to comment? on what was read. Hi, it's Tippi. Tippi, go ahead. Hi. Um, it said that they waited two days until they went to speak to him. Um, so I can see myself that I can't compare my mind the first few days and now how it is um, two months later. Um, you know, it's a whole different ball game. I feel more rational, more calm. You know, you can talk to me. Then I was, I was so, the food had still such an effect on my mind that it was the emotions taking over the rational part of my mind. And, um, you know, there's a world of difference. Two, two months not, not eating the caffeine and the sugar and just a few days later and um, I want to tie into what we what was read before in the paragraph before that um, he was a great chap when he was um, sober and um, and I, I could see myself as well that I was also frustrated because I knew that my personality was to be more of a warm loving person but I was shouting and I was, and I was irritated and I was always wondering, who am I? Like, am I a nervous type or am I the warm type? And and I was frustrated because I knew that I was the warm type, but it didn't show up. The warmness did not show up. It was covered by all the muck of the food and everything that I was just nervous. And when I, and now, finally, I'm off the food. 
I can see here I'm really warm and loving and um, it's like I'm more calm as well and it's like showing on my husband and children you know they're commenting that I'm more calm and I like kiss my children all day because I just love them to bits and it's so gratifying that I can show my warmth now not like it's coming naturally and not something that I have to wake up in the morning or and say today I'm not going to shout or when I go to bed and feel all guilty oh my why did I shout so much today and try and work on it and now it's just like natural this is this is like the real me the real city that is coming forward and not the fake one that was hidden behind all the food in our past thank you so much uh, it says here here was a prospect all right but by the description none too promising um i mean certainly you know alcoholics anonymous number 3 doesn't look too good but um you know that that's the power of this program of recovery i mean when i think back over the past uh, over two decades 26 years of working with people and and sitting in face-to-face meetings and watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come through those doors. You know, I don't know that the person sitting in the front row in her 3X shorts is going to have a surrender and, um, you know, implement these steps in her life and be transformed and live a life uh, beyond what was imaginable. I, I don't have that foresight. All I can tell you, though, is that uh, this program works. It says, you know, further on, it says, two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. This man recovered. This man walked out of that hospital a free man. This is such a magical thing, this program of recovery, because it enables people of all types and all kinds, all different backgrounds, people who would normally not mix, and despite all the odds, can experience such a dramatic change in character and in personality personality and in values. You know, Dr. Bob and Bill, who carried that message, and we who are recovered, who are on this phone line uh, almost daily, uh, to carry a message, we have no credentials. We have no special understanding. We're not appointed by anybody. We are just real compulsive overeaters who are here trying to save our lives. And we've been doing that, some of us, for quite some time. And it doesn't always get easier. It just continues to be necessary for compulsive overeaters of my type. Because we come here because we don't want to die, just like Dr. Bob and and Bill uh, you know, worked intensively with other people, with other alcoholics, because they did not want to die, and also because they did not want to live in the way that they once lived, because they lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. They lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. And so, yes, they worked intensively. It was not easy. Here they are working with Alcoholics Future, fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous, Uh, carrying the message as we carry the message here every day, welcoming the newcomers and reminding you that your chances of recovery are 100%. 100%. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. That was true in 1939. It's true today on March 11th, 2013. With that, I pass. Anyone else before we close the meeting this morning? Hi, it's Linda in Connecticut. May I share? Of course, Linda. Go ahead. Um, Thoroughly followed our path. That means I've got to work. It's not uh, fairy dust. I have to do these steps. They have to be integrated into, and this sounds intellectual, they have to become part of me, and they have by practicing them over and over and over, and I've been in OA a very long time, and I'm no longer self-destructive, crazy, self-absorbed and all that other stuff that I had to experience in order to be where I am now. I am so grateful. I live, that's my dog, I'm sorry. She's very old. Probably partly very old because I've been able to take care of her. I live in the house where I was born, and I used to call it a hellhole, and it's the house that I own now and where I am recovering and very near recovered. I'm crawling my way through. 
I'm so grateful because uh, I don't want to die. I want to live, and I have a full life, and I have problems I have to resolve. And so what? I have God and all of you and those steps and that fabulous big book. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Penny E., are you available to read A Vision for You? Yes, Leah, thank you. Penny E., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.